child of God's people said amen and they mean it. Amen. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, team. I want to come out of the shoot telling you up front that I don't like conflict. Some do, I don't. Especially if that conflict has to do with things. Now, if it has to do with the truth of the gospel, if it has to do with the st my stewardship of proclaiming that truth, I am ready to die for that. But in, if conflict just about things, you know what I mean, stuff, uh, I, it, it really doesn't, I, I don't think it's worth it. Let me illustrate what I mean, and this is more about me than anything else. It's my testimony. In 1981, we moved to Dunwoody, Georgia. And the first week we moved, moved into the house, uh, I was standing in the backyard, and one of my two backyard neighbors called out to me, and he said, uh, are you the new owner of the house? I want to say the bank owns it, but... I, <laughs> I don't want to be too smart. And I said, yes, sir. He said, good. You're going to have a lawsuit on your hand. I said, well, why is that? He said, because the fence is two feet into my property. I said, don't worry about it. Let's just bring the fence five feet into my property. You don't have to worry about that. And he looked at me truthfully like if I am from another planet. Well, he's not the only one who thinks that I'm from another planet. Sometimes I think I'm from another planet. <laughs> but I'll tell you, for the six years we lived in that house, I have never heard or seen this neighbor ever again. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> My thought then and now and has always been, I don't get into conflict over just things. Some of you may disagree with me. I said, Michael, you need to fight for the principle and so forth. That's fine. I want to talk about me, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to talk for you. But I think you'll agree with me that the most difficult conflict of all is that conflict among family members. That's probably the toughest of all. Family feuds, family fights. They're often unpleasant, and they're painful, and they're distasteful. But also the process of reconciliation can be equally disconcerting and yet vitally important. The process of reconciliation in a family feud can be daunting, but is absolutely necessary. That is why you find there are many people, when they get into family conflict, some find it easier to stay away than reconcile. Uh, this is, of course, a personal opinion that's shaped by many years' experience. There are some people who find it easier to harbor resentment than to reconcile. There are some who love 
to keep on nursing their anger than follow the principle of Matthew 18. Yet others will love to keep on rationalizing the reason for the fallout. They comfort themselves in the rightness of their cause. I am right. They comfort themselves in their presumed innocence in the matter. It's not my fault. In the last message, we saw Jacob limping across the river. We saw him limping because God touched his hip. If you were not here last message, if you're visiting today, I plead with you, go back, download last week's message, apostles.org, because it will really, uh, in, indeed, the two messages almost uh, one message, but it will be too long to preach on one Sunday. So that it will help you understand fully and better today's message. For those of you who are visiting, we have been delighting ourselves for some time now in the past several messages of watching how the grace of God works in the life of Jacob and learning in the process how the grace of God works in our lives. Here we come to this point after Jacob wrestled, or God wrestled with Jacob. After God won and Jacob surrendered. After God blessed Jacob. After God confirmed the promise that he made to his grandfather, Abraham, that through him the line of the Messiah will be born. After the joy of meeting the pre-incarnate Christ, after the joy of victory and the blessings of surrender, now the time has come for Jacob uh, to face something that he avoided for 20 years. Now, I want to speak to the hundreds of you who came down in response to the invitation last Sunday in the last message. Uh, those of you who walked this aisle at the end of the message, the hundreds of you who, who came down from the balcony, from the sanctuary, from everywhere, I thank God for that. But I want to tell you this morning, today, I want to tell you that there is a next step for that moment of surrender. There is a very important step. And for the hundreds of you, because of the limitation of space, you stayed in your seats and you surrendered in where you are. There is additional step that you must take after surrender. And I am pleading with you today that you focus with me and that you would take that first step. For full blessing of surrender to take hold, there may be something that you need to do. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Are you ready? You say amen. amen. All right. You might not say amen by the end, so I've got to get it now. Jacob may have dreaded taking this step. At least that's my personal opinion as I read the text. <laughs> what was it? Facing his brother Esau with all of the dread of the past 20 years later. Beloved, that could not have been easy. It could not have been easy. You read the text and read it carefully, you'll find, you will sense that. You see, after Jacob had cheated his father 
and pretended to be Esau. And then he received the blessings of firstborn uh, after his mother, Rebekah, told him to go away until the anger of his brother Esau subsides. After Jacob surrender and receives the blessing of God and the renewal of the promise of God, now he needs to clean up some past business. And that's not just reconciliation. It's not just reconciliation, but restitution. Restitution. Can you say that with me? Restitution. Parenthetically, whenever the Holy Spirit reveals to you something that took place, I don't care how many years ago, and then you're determined to make it right, restitution has to be part of that determination. In many ways, lack of reconciliation and restitution is not only hinders our effectiveness and the effectiveness of God's blessing upon us, but it also hinders answer to prayer. Are you with me? But not only that, it will always cloud the atmosphere, not from God's side, not from God's end, but from our end. It clouds the atmosphere in our relationship with the Lord. Now, the New Testament makes that even clearer. If you inwardly experience the forgiveness of your sins from the Lord Jesus Christ, then you must outwardly express that forgiveness to those who have wronged you. Beloved, in, a, in our society today, <laughs> I don't need to tell you, but I mean, all the stuff that's going on, I mean, I, I, I want to get into this. He, he did not come to church to hear the news, but all these politicians, in, the erring politicians, and their PR people said, well, just issue an apology, and they'll issue an apology. <laughs> that's just self-serving. That's not biblical. That's not what the Bible talks about. The word restitution has been a missing word in our vocabulary in our society today. The late Chuck Colson have tried hard and, and, and often to try to get our legislators, state and federal, to make restitution to be final, to be the most important part of the penal code, but he failed. Restitution. Your restitution is the only manifestation of a true repentance and reconciliation. Can I get a witness? Please hear me right. Unwillingness to make restitution cheapens repentance. Unwillingness to make restitution throws doubt on the authenticity of repentance. Even partial restitution is inconsistent with true repentance. I just read this week about a Canadian farmer. This Canadian farmer went to see his pastor. He just became a new Christian a few weeks earlier. And his pastor happened to be also a farmer during the week, but a pastor on Sunday. I've been in many rural areas of Canada where this is really true. And so this farmer went to see the pastor. He said, Pastor, before I was converted to Christ, um, I stole a rope from my neighbor's barn. Uh, but then hearing your sermon on Zacchaeus, who was determined to make restitution, I wanted to return the rope to my neighbor. 
but my neighbor refused to reconcile with me. Being, as I said, a farmer himself and pastor on Sunday, the pastor leaned over and looked at that farmer, and he said, are you sure that was all you took from your neighbor's barn? And the farmer sheepishly looked at the pastor. He said, no, I'll be honest with you, pastor. (laughs) I didn't give him back what was attached to the rope. (laughs) And the pastor asked what that might be. He said, his prized calf. (laughs) You see, partial restitution is not good enough. Look with me now at Genesis 33, verse 3. You see, when Jacob's life was transformed by his surrender, as we saw in the last message, he knew in his heart that restitution and reconciliation must follow. And so he bows to Esau seven times. Seven times he bows to Esau. (laughs) You ask, what's the big deal about that? Well, you see, for Twenty years earlier, Jacob tricked his father and stole the firstborn blessing from his brother. Now, after God wrestling with Jacob, now, after Jacob lost to God, now, after God changed him from Jacob or Jacob into Israel, God prevails. God also changed Jacob's heart. I'm going to say more about this, actually, in the next message. But for now, listen carefully. Beloved, there is no going around this. There is no going around it. Can you say it with me? There is no going around it. Come on, say it loudly. If there is a true repentance, there has to be the fruit of that repentance. If there is going to be inward transformation, then there has to be an outward demonstration. If there is going to be an inward surrender, it must be followed by outward restitution. Listen carefully. Some of you might be stubbornly refusing to make confession and restitution. I don't know, it's between you and God. But I can tell you that the true blessing, the full blessing, the full joy, can only fill your heart when you come clean with God and with those whom you wronged. Let me make something very, 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 very clear here, because I know somebody's going to misunderstand me. This is a very sensitive issue, and I want want to be careful. Private sins or secret sins need to be confessed only to the Lord. There's no use for me going over to my brother Zach and saying, Hey, Zach, I had a bad thought about you yesterday. Now, that's not a good confession. That's bad. You agree with me? You get to deal with God. God, I had a bad thought about Zach. And the reason I say that, I don't. I have lovely thoughts about my colleague. (laughs) All my colleagues, I love them dearly. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, be very careful that you go out and you blab stuff that is not that person's business. 
a secret sin, private sin, need to be confessed to whom? The Lord. Only sinning openly against someone, only that someone has to receive your confession and your restitution, because I want to make that clear. A lot of stuff goes on in the churches where confess your sins to one another, and, and especially that I've lived in California back in the 70s, and that was a big thing, and people saying all kinds of stuff and creating problems in the church. Jacob's experience of forgiveness of his sin by the Lord himself made him willing to confess his sin against his brother. I know, I know, and you know that Jacob could have said, my mother made me do it. <laughs> Hello. I know, the devil made me do it. Uh, and you know what? He would have been partially right. My mother made me, or after all, God promised to me uh, that it was, it, my, the God's promise was to me and not to my brother Esau. Uh, he could have said, Esau, uh, God said, will serve me, not the other way around. God said, Esau is subservient to me, not the other way around. No, 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 no. He didn't do any of this. He bowed how many times? And he called him my Lord Esau. I'll explain that in a minute. Because after God touches hip, Jacob recognized his wrongdoing. And therefore, no rationalization, no explanation, no justification. Only confession and restitution. Hear me right, please. Some of you may need God's touch of your hip pocket. Hello. Martin Luther said it's the last part of the body that gets baptized. <laughs> you may have been unfaithful to the Lord with the blessings and the bounties He's given you. You may have been keeping the tithe and the offering that belongs to the Lord, doesn't belong to you, but you're keeping it. You need to make restitution before it is too late, and perhaps for some it may be very close to being too late to do it today. Jacob recognized the wrong he did. He confessed it. He repented of it, and then he insisted on making restitution. Bowing seven times and insisting on calling his brother, my Lord Esau, is a mark of respect. It's a mark It's the expression of repentance in those days, in that culture. And he insisted, whether Esau needed it or not, he insisted that these gifts be accepted by his brother. Jacob insisted that Esau would receive that restitution. Beloved, listen to me. When God touches your heart, when God forgives all of your sins, when God blesses you with salvation, when God ministers to you by His grace, when God exercises mercy toward you, then you have no choice but to exercise mercy toward others. You must be ready to right the wrong even if it happened 20 years ago, even if it happened 20 years ago, let me ask you this. It's only between you and God. Are you carrying bitterness in your heart towards someone? Are you 
harboring that bitterness in your life towards someone? Are you loaded with anger and resentment towards someone? Have you knowingly wronged someone? Have you knowingly took advantage of someone? Have you cheated someone? Have you cheated God and said, well, God doesn't need it? Let me plead with you. Let me plead with you. I don't know the urgency in my spirit and my soul all weekend today that I can tell you most assuredly there is no amount of public singing. There is no amount of public prayer. There is no amount of Bible study attendance. There is no amount of teaching and preaching that you can hear. There is no amount of preaching and teaching that you can do because I'm speaking to the preacher as well that will substitute for confession and restoration. Someone will say to me, Michael, you just don't understand me. You don't understand my predicament. Michael, you just don't understand my world. I only took what is due to me. Most likely I don't understand them. <laughs> the older I get, the more I'm discovering, the more things I don't understand. <laughs> But it doesn't matter whether I understand or not. I'm only a flawed, fallen sinner saved by grace like you. What matters is God and His Word. God and His Word. As Jacob insisted that Esau receive the gift, he reluctantly accepted it. Question. Did Esau need it? I mean, that's very clear in the Scripture. It doesn't matter, though. Did Esau appreciate it? doesn't matter. Uh, did Esau deserve it? It doesn't matter. You are doing this for the Lord and for you. Here's something else I don't want you to miss. The most important step is to purpose in your heart. That's the very first and most important step. Your purpose in your heart. Your purpose in your heart to confess. Your purpose in your heart to make restitution. Or, listen carefully, your purpose in your heart to ask for forgiveness. Remember, God is the one who is working on the other end of things. He's not only working on you, but he's working on the other end. Even if the other end are not believers, it doesn't matter. We're going to see in this story in Esau right now. God will not only enable you, he will empower you. He will provide the opportunity. He will provide the resources. But you have to begin by purposing in your heart. Let me now show you from the Scripture what I mean. You see, everything you read in the Bible about Esau, everything we know about him from the Scripture, he did not fear God. Uh, he was into himself. He was into instant gratification. He was a wild man. In fact, that's what the word is used here. He was a wild man. 
But God had already gone ahead of Jacob, and he changed Esau's heart. God is working on both ends. In fact, he's working on many fronts, but he works on both ends when there is a purposing in the heart. When you purpose in your heart to, do the, to right the wrong, God will go ahead of you, God will prepare the way for you, and God will change the heart of the other person. God will do things that will absolutely surprise you. Here's something else that will bless you if you take it to heart. Jacob and Esau, if you noticed as David was reading the passage, and, and if you read it in your own personal devotion, if you read it fast, you could miss it. But, but there was something here that I really don't want you to miss. What happened, they've never actually talked specifically about the problem or the sin. You notice that? They didn't even talk about it like, we, 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 we like to talk things to death. I'll move on. <laughs> They've never discussed in details the old hurt. <laughs> they never said to each other, hey, let's hang out together and, and hash this thing out. No. They didn't say, hey, let's get our kids together, have a barbecue, and you and I talk together, have heart-to-heart talk. <laughs> they never even got it off their chest, something we like to do, which is okay. But do you know why? Do you know Why? I am absolutely convinced because sometimes an embrace, an embrace can speak much more eloquently than words. Please watch this. Before God touched Jacob, before God wrestled with Jacob, Jacob sent the others and the gifts ahead of him. You notice that? But here, after God had wrestled with him and he lost to God and God won, what happens? He goes in the front to face Esau. That's the power that God gives, and only God can give. Again, if you read the passage in a hurry, you could miss this. The Holy Spirit does not waste words. When you read the Scripture, and it doesn't matter who wrote the words, who took the pen to paper, the Holy Spirit is the author of that book from Genesis to Revelation. Amen? And the Holy Spirit does not waste words, did not waste words here in this book that he authored. Now that Jacob has been conquered by God, now that he's been uh, conquered by God himself, now he has the courage to face his past. Uh, now that Jacob has been conquered by God, uh, he has a renewed strength to go and face the painful past. Question. Where did that renewed power and strength come from? Where did it come from? It came from the one who changed him. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a complete job. It's a complete job. When God starts his work, it's a full job. It's a full-blown job. Not halfway done. I told you in the last message that I am one of those people who are absolutely delighted to be called a loser to God. <laughs> Let me tell you something else that's very important here. 
about not resolving conflicts, not resolving past hurt and past sin. I want to tell you something very, very important about bitterness if it is not dealt with. Bitterness, if it is not dealt with biblically, biblically, it never goes away. It doesn't disappear and is forgotten. No, no, no. It goes underground. Are you with me? And that's why the Bible speaks about the root of bitterness. The root of a tree is hidden. You can't see it. It goes underground. Whenever the Bible talks about bitterness, it talks about it not as a fruit, but as a root. Why? Because it goes under the soil of your life. And when it goes underground, it poisons the soil of your life and hurts you and a lot more people around you. Just before you think, just before you think that I'm lecturing at you, trust me, trust me, I'm not. Let me admit it to you openly. Restitution, confession, it's not easy. It's not easy. Producing the fruit of repentance is not a walk in the park. I'm telling you that because I'm speaking from experience. Correcting past wrongs can put a dread in your heart. Facing past sins and wrongs can give you a horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach. Do I know what I'm talking about or not? (laughs) Ah, but if you do it in the name of Jesus, if you do it for the sake of Jesus, and if you do it in the power of Jesus, you will receive strength that you have never experienced before. They have never known before. Why do I say this? Because often God is going to go ahead of you and he's going to prepare the other party. One final question. The question is this, and I've been asked that before, and I thought about it a great deal. What if you go to a person that you know you wronged him, he knows you wronged him, and you go and ask for his forgiveness and confession genuinely? What if he refuses? What if she refuses? Read my lips. It is not your problem. That is not your problem. It is now their problem and God's problem. Amen? But why is restitution very important to you? It's very important to me. It's very important to us who love Jesus. Because it humbles us before God and man. Jacob humbled himself before Esau. Beloved, that could not be easy. Because it also helps us deal responsibly with the consequences of our action. It reminds us of how costly obedience is. Now, beloved, if anyone here, we're watching, it doesn't matter, who say to me, Michael, obedience is easy. I want you to minister to me, okay? Come and talk to me. Help me. Because I never found obedience to be easy. And one thing it does, it polishes our testimony. It polishes our testimony. When Esau saw his brother's true humility 
and a change of demeanor. When Esau saw his brother's humility in confession and repentance, he was overwhelmed. He immediately recognized that his brother became a changed man. Beloved, one of the greatest marks of maturing in Christ is to be able to say, I'm sorry, I wronged you. I know most teachers and preachers and Christians in general, and, and even now it's in the secular, the secular preachers on public television, and they all talk, talk about the power of forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. Listen to me. Very few of us, including this preacher, preach on the power of asking for forgiveness. Let me conclude by saying that there is and there are, in the plural, unique blessings in asking for forgiveness. Truly unique blessings. It will not only give you genuine peace. It will not only remove the shadows that are hanging over you. It will not only restore you to full spiritual health, but the Bible makes it very clear it will bring about answers to prayer. Prayers that you have prayed for a long time and God has not answered. And I say that on the authority of God's Word because Psalm 66, 18 says, if I cherish, if I hide, if I don't confess, if I keep sin in my heart without repenting of it and confessing and repenting of it, God will not answer me. If I don't seek forgiveness and restoration, heaven is going to feel like brass and the earth like steel. And I feel that my prayers are not going over my head, past my head. Today I'm going to ask you to kneel. In the last message, I asked you to stand. Today I'm going to ask if you're physically, if you're physically able to kneel, will you kneel with me? If you physically can't, that's okay. God knows. He understands. I want you to do some self-examination. A song said, search me, search me, O God. Our offertory song, ask the Lord to search. Now it's time for you to search your heart. And then... Purpose in your heart as you ask yourself the question, do I need to ask someone for forgiveness? Do I need to ask God for his forgiveness? Do I need to ask a spouse for forgiveness? Do I need to ask a mother or father for forgiveness? Do I ask... Do I need to ask a son or daughter for forgiveness? Do I need to ask a co-worker or a neighbor for forgiveness? Purpose in your heart, not only to confess, but make restitution. And the Holy Spirit will go before you and prepare the way. He'll prepare the way for that visit 
He will prepare the way for that phone call. He will prepare the way for that knock on the door. Whatever you need to do as your purpose in your heart, the Holy Spirit will go ahead of you. And then, my beloved friends who love the Lord Jesus, you can walk down these aisles in the next few moments and participate at the Lord's table as a, an affirm, affirmation that you definitively have purposed in your heart. Now, if you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, this Lord's table is for the believers. You have to go through first base first and ask the Lord Jesus to forgive your sins and repent and turn and receive Him as your only Savior and Lord. That's your first step. But for all those who know the Lord Jesus, I've been walking with Jesus, and they wonder why there is no power. And the blessings seem to be flying out the window. Follow the model of Jacob. No wonder the Scripture talk about the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob, I'm calling upon you and upon heaven to hear our cries, to forgive our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we know you promised to do just that. But Father, for some of us are going to need the strength, need the power, if we purpose as we purpose in our hearts to right the wrong. Lord, nobody can help us but you. And I am confident in who you are because we know your character. We, we know you from your word and we know you for walking with you for all these years. You're a faithful God. And your word said, even if we are unfaithful, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And based on that faithfulness, Lord, we cry to you and lift up our voices. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. amen. Let's stand and bless the Lord in a song. Thank you.